Hello, and welcome to a series of school safety podcasts. Um, I'm Amanda Klinger. And I'm Dr. Amy Klinger. And we are the directors and founding members of the Educator School Safety Network. If you are listening to this podcast because you are enrolled in EDLS 633 at Ashland University. So some of this may seem somewhat familiar and maybe review from information that you just recently had or maybe had a little while ago. If you are not enrolled in uh, EDLS 633 at Ashland and you're just listening to this on our podcast channels, um, we would encourage you to um, check out some of the information. Um, Our website is in our bio information. It's www.eschoolsafety.org and there's links there if you're interested in finding out more information or if you want to take the course uh, not for college credit but for CEUs um, through us through our website. So we've encouraged you to check out that information as well. Plus there's a lot of good stuff there. So let's get started. So in unit four we talked about the standard response procedures and you know um, what those are and sort of the shift away from the sort of notion that I have a procedure for every single type of conceivable uh, threat or thing that could happen. And instead I have these standard response procedures and we've thought them through and then we're the, then we have the critical skill of being able to pick out which is the correct tool um, for the problem that we find ourselves faced with. Well, I think we see a lot of administrators who spend time trying to come up with every potential scenario. Mm -hmm. What about a bus accident in the snow on a dark, uh, you know, phase of the moon or whatever unique situation we're trying to come up with. Like baseball statistics. Yeah. Where they're like, you know, this, this is, uh, they're, they're batting 400 against right-handed pitchers whose mother maiden name was, you know, began with a T. Right. So instead, what we're trying to do is move you administratively away from let me brainstorm every possible scenario and write a, uh, a plan for it. And we've seen those in crisis plans. And, and while they're very entertaining, they're not particularly helpful. Well, but there's two problems. There's two problems, which is one, I have to then create a good plan for each one of 55 different scenarios. So you're going to reach a point of diminishing returns where your plans aren't that great. Number two, the problem is if I am responding, I have to choose from- I can't find them anyway. I have to choose from 55 different options of wait, what's happening, which plan is this, as opposed to I only have five tools, my five response procedures. I need to choose the best one of these five. And in these, when you peel off all the fat and you boil it down, it's still going right back to these response procedures. So instead, administratively, um, we're really encouraging you to sort of look at spending your time and energy on the policy development, the procedures, and the protocol development, and really sort of making sure that we have these basic response procedures, but that we have enhanced them or fine-tuned them and really made them the best that we can be. And so there's a couple suggestions with that. I think it's really important to be collaborative. Um, You don't need to sit in your office and go, okay, well, here, let me write all these things, um, and this is how I envision it happening. Instead, you need to be collaborative. You need to be out. You need to be looking at the physical spaces you're talking about. You need to pull in the expertise of folks like the custodian and the classroom teacher and your local fire person and your SRO and really getting that interdisciplinary sort of collaborative view of how does this work and how does this look instead of you on your own in isolation sort of just coming up with it. And we see that all the time and that's a real that's a real disadvantage um, in these response procedures. I also think updating is gonna be critical. You may inherit a set of response procedures but I guarantee they need to be updated. Um, they need to be updated all the time. 
um, something happens, we remodel, we shift, this is different. Um, we have a different, you know, exit that we use. We have a different time frame, whatever those things might be. And even if nothing has changed, they still need to be updated. So don't just sit on the ones you have and think, well, those are pretty good. I don't need to worry about it. And then I also think talking, uh, you know, the debriefing, the practice and debriefing sort of cycle of, okay, we had that tornado drill. Did, did everyone really fit? Um, did that work the way that we thought? What were some of the things that we could do differently? I think administratively, one of the things to get past in the response procedures is um, the, the bias or the, the viewpoint that teachers often have, which is we want to do this procedure in a way that mimics or mirrors what we normally do in our classroom. So we want everyone to be quiet, everyone to line up, and no one to be confused, and it needs to be perfect. And if my class is supposed to be second in line, then I should be second in line. And so we have to be willing to have these response procedures be um, a little bit messy, but effective. And uh, that's very difficult, I think, sometimes for, especially for elementary folks who have really ingrained procedures, which makes sense for their classroom management. But, you know, when we are sheltering for the incoming tornado, we don't need Mrs. Smith standing in the hallway waiting so that Mrs. Jones' class can get in front because on the diagram it shows that they go in first. And we laugh about that, but we know that for a fact that that indeed happens because there's a difference between I'm practicing this and we're really doing this. There really is a tornado. There really is a fire. There really is an intruder. Um, we need people to do the procedure. It doesn't have to look pretty. It just has to be effective. And so you need to get past that as well. Yeah. And, and you have to sort of walk that line of, I need to have procedures and protocols so that people know what to do. But I most importantly need people to understand what are we trying to accomplish? Because I draw a diagram of where the classes are supposed to be when we're sheltering for a severe weather event. And, and that's maybe is the way that makes the most sense. But people need to also understand that what are we trying to accomplish? We need everybody to get into a place that's safe. And if it's not the diagram, then it's not the diagram. And so that is a, that is a really tough uh, line to to walk of I need to have policies and procedures because people need guidance people need structure but I need people to understand what's the basic things that we're trying to accomplish here and that really goes back to that discussion we had about decentralizing authority um, you as the building leader um, may establish the response procedures and have taught your staff what it is we're trying to accomplish but it's really going to be up to them to make sure that it happens and I think we also just want to sort of close the part of this unit talking about the difference between when we're talking about these standard response procedures and emergency operations plan. Um, planning for, you know, creating an EOP, creating a, you know, district-wide large EOP document, it's a very specific document. And there's a lot of guidance, um, you know, from FEMA and, and, you know, EOPs come to us, you know, from the world of emergency managers and, and FEMA and that real structured first responders. And it's important that, you know, every school district um, and independent schools have an emergency operations plan. But do you want to kind of speak to the interplay between what we're talking about of these are the standard response procedures and sort of what would be the role of a building level administrator who's sort of doing this work, you know, uh, improving in isolation versus we're going to have a committee and we're going to have a team and we're going to create an emergency operations plan or we're going to update our EOP and sort of, you know, 
what's appropriate well, there, for a building. There's the theory and there's the reality. Right. Theoretically, we have this nice interdisciplinary team and it's representative and we do it, which we need to do. And so hopefully that happens. But then there's also the, the brutal reality of I walk into my administrative position and this is the hand I'm dealt and I have to make the improvements as much as I can with the mm -hmm. existing response procedures. So you're really going to have to be able to do both of those things. You can't say, well... This is an inadequate response procedure, but we're going to live with it for a year until we can get our large committee together. So you're really going to be working both at the micro and the macro level, um, in terms, yeah, simultaneously in terms of looking at um, at the response procedures. Because the really critical importance is we need to respond. I mean, the the bar is we can do nothing or we can do this response procedure, whether it's perfect or beautiful or perfect or you know, it may not be as relevant as the fact that at least we have something and we're doing something as opposed to in the middle of the crisis, we're all just kind of staring at each other trying to figure out what to do. And, which is tough because, you know, if you walk into, you know, a, a job as an administrator and everyone, you know, the flip charts, the response procedures that everyone's using are dated from 2012, we need to, you know, half of them are from 2012 and half of them are from, you know, 2007, then we need to update those. And I need to have consistent procedures within my building. But on the other hand, I also need to see what's happening in the EOP plan for the whole district. We should be having consistent plans throughout the district. And so it is tough because you have to sort of have the Band-Aid fix and you need to have sort of the long-term uh, solution as well. And, and that might be difficult to do and might be difficult to navigate um, you know, both just administratively and making it happen and, but, you know, politically, because that's a difficult, uh, it's a lot of work. And, you know, we do EOP consulting for school districts and, and school districts sometimes have a tendency to want to purchase an EOP plan off the shelf so that this problem is taken care of. Um, and, you know, we won't do that. We won't sell a plan like that, but we do consulting with that because it's, it's difficult and it's a lot of work for folks.